0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Book and Film Globe podcast. I am your host, Neil Pollack, the greatest living American writer and the editor-in-chief of Book and Film Globe. You can find the site at www.bookandfilmglobe.com. We cover the world of books and film and streaming TV and much more. We have a fine show for you this week. I'm going to talk to Adam Hirschfelder about a couple of things. We're going to talk about... The new uh, Jennifer Lopez music video movie album. I know we don't usually cover music on this site, but Jennifer Lopez is all over Amazon Prime and Adam is obsessed with her. So we're going to talk to him about that. And I'm also going to talk to Adam a little bit later about the new hit movie biopic about Bob Marley, One Love, uh, which has made a surprising amount of money at the box office. And Adam will be here later to talk to me about that. And I'm also going to talk to Matthew Ehrlich about Feud, Capote versus The Swans, the latest uh, TV show from the TV factory that is Ryan Murphy, and that is airing on FX. And Hulu, I've not talked to Adam Hirschfelder this much since the first Bush administration, but here he is after this musical interlude. talk to me about Jennifer Lopez. A few weeks ago, Book and Film Globe contributor Adam Hirschfelder approached me excitedly with the news that there was a new music video slash movie coming out uh, from Jennifer Lopez. He was as obsessed with this project as he is about uh, any, any show that Taylor Sheridan puts out. Uh, Adam is a man of many enthusiasms, and apparently Jennifer Lopez is one of them. And now the Jennifer Lopez movie music video is here, and he's written about it for us. Hello, Adam. Hey, Neil. How are you? I am fine. I, I'm i I'm still just me, to use a kind of a Jennifer Lopez-ism. This is me now. I think, isn't that what it's called, this, this music video?
1: This is me now, A Love Story, is the video. Oh. This is me now is the album that it supports, which is a 20-year follow-up to her album. This is me then, mm. which is almost a reverse. And that album, of course, was famous for introducing the world to Jenny from the Block, which I've listened to most days
0: of your life. Yeah, but Je- she's not. Je- she's certainly not Jenny from the Block anymore. I mean, Jen- Jennifer Lopez is uh, an international uh, celebrity. You know, we have we've been following her her uh, love life more closely than our own, for sure. It's more interesting. <laughs>
1: Certainly, her love life has certainly been more interesting than mine. And yes, I've been following her for some 20 some odd years. And yes, she is no longer Jenny from the block. But that's always been part of her kind of, I don't know, shtick or, you know, her, her internal stuff where she's, you know, kind of always having to prove that she's still, the, you know, this, this, the, the girl who grew up in Castle Hill in the South Bronx, even though everything about her life was not that.
0: Here's the thing about Jennifer Lopez, and we'll get into the specifics of this particular project. Obviously, she is uh, beautiful and magnetic, and she has, uh, a, from time to time, appeared in a decent movie uh, and given a, a strong performance. But I, you know, there's this whole thing going around on on the internet about you know Iyo Beery had this routine about how you know J Lo can't sing, you know, at mm-hmm, all. Sure. she doesn't sing. She's not really. She's not a. She's not Beyonce in terms of her moves. You know, so it's like, what is the appeal of Jennifer Lopez?
1: Yeah. And you're seeing some of that in some of the kind of response... You know, it's like J- you, people, you know, obsess about J-Lo because she's J-Lo. Like, it's a, everything about J-Lo is just a self-referral to the what she's created. And, I, yeah, I mean, it's like, what is it about this person? And I've been interested in her and have followed her for a quarter century, and it's just like, because she's her, I, I don't know. I mean, but also because she's she's... I think she's really captured what it is to be, like, an American celebrity. And I think mm. this new film... As amusing and silly as it all is. It was the first time you got a sense that J Lo was kind of in on the joke.
0: Okay, but 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 the whole thing is like uh framed in terms of like a therapy session with yes. the uh the rapper Fat Joe.
1: Yes, fat Joe, <laughs> who of course, you know, has this you know edgy history and is a friend of hers for you know so, you know many decades. And yes, but that was almost it. The fact that Fat Joe was her calm you know, skeptical slash supportive therapist, as they all kind of act, really, I don't know, gave me a hint that maybe J-Lo was in on the joke. And finally, as I said in the piece, maybe starting to a little laugh at herself. At least that's how I took it.
0: Maybe, although there is an extended scene where she dances on the set of Singing in the Rain.
1: Yes, right. And that's, you know, this pitch towards old Hollywood and old glamour. That's always been part of J-Lo's thing. She's always tried to capture that in different ways how she dresses on the you know, runways and all that kind of stuff. And I think that's always spoke to this kind of like American celebrity. She's really made that part of her picture, the balance between her castle hill, South Bronx side, and then this, you know, obsession with the old Hollywood and image and all that. So yeah, it's both of them. You can't, it, that's all J-Lo. It's both, both things.
0: Right, but there's not, she doesn't have the um, film, filmography to, like, back up the old Hollywood thing. I mean, there was yeah, there was right. Out of Sight with George Clooney, which was a long time ago now, really long time ago. There was the stripper movie, the stripper movie that was good. Yeah, Hustlers.
1: Hustlers. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, she doesn't have, right, all she, what she has is J-Lo for being J-Lo. I mean, she's done a right. few decent films. Who's she, you know, it's interesting, you know, preparing for this piece, the number of people she's appeared with, I don't want to, you know, make that how she's gotten popular, but the amount of movies and who she has appeared with, as you said, Clooney and everyone. It, it's stunning. I didn't know she's done like 30 plus films. Yeah. And only a few, a handful have been half decent, but it's not the film. It's the whole thing. I don't know. You could pick this, you can pick that. It's the whole <laughs> J-Lo as J-Lo. You just, it's just, it's his own thing. It has no right or wrong or good or bad. I was reading something that said, yeah, there's no like good or bad. It's just J-Lo. I I would agree with you. Uh, You can't, I mean, I I don't have a negative
0: opinion about her. You know, she doesn't, she never says or does anything that is offensive to anyone, anyone, you know, she's, she doesn't, she's not crude. She's not, uh, she's not overtly political. She's not obnoxious.
1: (laughs) She's normal ish. Yes. And although the one time she got edgy and I, this, I wish it had gotten a little more clear in the, in the film, which led to the creation of Google Images when she wore that, you know, outrageous outfit at the 2000 Grammys, the uh, Versace green outfit when she went there with, I think he was P. Diddy or Puffy at the time. And Google, because that dress was so, people were so interested in it, they, Google realized at the time, holy cow, we really need to create an image search engine because of her dress.
0: That's a legacy of some sort. So now I guess we
1: and then I guess we need to go TMZ here and talk about her choice of romantic partners because the, yeah, ba- no, the romantic I mean this was so but you were saying she, you know, this rough stuff. So that night she, or a couple of days later she gets involved in a bar battle with puffy and guns and all this kind of stuff and she immediately bails and that relationship ends. Fair
0: enough. You know, but the, mo- the, the movie, music video, album thing is really sort of a celebration of her, of the reu- uh, reuniting of benifer Yeah. She has fallen back in love with Ben Affleck and her one true love, and now they are together forever, probably.
1: Yes, but from a therapeutic standpoint, she's in love with herself now, which she knows. Oh, good. <laughs> As opposed
0: to before.
1: As opposed to before, <laughs> where she you know either hated herself, had low self-esteem, all this kind of stuff. She's now embraced, like, her adulthood and realized, you know, what she needs to do to love herself first so she could go backwards to get married to the guy who she was engaged with 20 years ago. Yeah, and made, and made one of the worst movies of all time with. Oh, e- yeah, easily.
0: Don't tell me there are no second acts in American lives, Adam.
1: Exactly. This is the greatest. This is, yeah, this is like a work of art. Again, if you didn't, if there wasn't J-Lo, you'd have to create J-Lo. Right. You know, and I have
0: to say, like, I prefer Benifer to her and A-Rod. As a lifelong Dodger fan, I I despise Arod. I think he's a, a preening moron, you know, and they the celebration of her when she was with him always ended up being a celebration with him of him. And I, I don't I don't mind. I, I I'm I am i am okay with like, you know, sort of self effacedly celebrating Ben Affleck.
1: Hey, look, as a J Lo follower and obsessive over the years, when she was with A Rod, there was an element of it like this seems right. Why? Because they're both Latino? I mean, both Latino. they're living in Miami. Like, this is, you know, he's as self-obsessed as she is. Like, you know, the world, you know, kind of worked itself out. And, you know, she found A-Rod. Like, you know, A-Rod, he sounds like J-Lo. You know, the whole thing. They were perfect (laughs) for each other. Like, I hated the guy. I'm, You know, Yankee fan, he comes. Steroid user, tried to mess with Derek Jeter. Like, I hated the guy. But I was like, you know what? This makes sense. I had higher hopes. And it turns out J-Lo surprises us all. Bell's on that. And then... I think the one thing with her is she doesn't spend a lot of time, you know, alone, which is, you know, part of the joke of the whole film, and which uh, I think Jane Fonda asked, you know, why can't this woman ever be alone? The whole Zodiac thing and this kind of rag ragtag group of celebrities who kind of mock and mimic her with stuff that you know the general public was saying. Again, it's great. Like, but if if you don't like J Lo, this film will make you drive you. Crazy. Yeah, I can't watch it. I
0: can't watch it. But I, 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 I mostly, I mostly, uh, published the piece and am doing this interview because I find. Well, you're from New Jersey, so I guess you have some regional. I guess, I guess, if JLo Lo had like grown up in Mesa, Arizona, I might have some a thing. Um, it's like it's like I, it's like I'm a big Emma Stone fan because she's from Phoenix.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Well, yeah, I've always had the you know the connection. Uh, the regional connection, but yeah, no, I, I, I think, uh, no, I've been a JLo follower for a long time and have watched it up and downs. And I found this, you know, getting back together with Ben Affleck in this past couple of weeks, the Duncan ad, the whole nine, like just an amazing American entertainment moment of the highest order. And you just have to, you know, suspend belief.
0: We're going to look back on these months that we've been living with JLo and the return of, uh, Bennifer and, uh, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey and, and various other, you know, big celebrity, uh, moments. I, we're going to look back on this fondly, like people somehow sometimes look back on the early two thousands fondly. Let's face it, Adam, there's, there's a hor- horrifying, a war coming of some sort. So, so we should just enjoy these self-absorbed celebrity moments and these videos
1: and, uh, and, and just exult in them. That's why I just keep watching. You know, this is me now love story on repeat. I mean, it stops me from reading the news. It's far more fun, interesting, hopeful, all of it. Sounds like your dog likes it too. My dog's trying to sing like J Lo too. <laughs> she's actually <laughs> she sounds a lot better. There is a dog. There is a dog in this is me now a love story too, which kind like of that
0: dog with. is that dog in the background is like J Lo without auto tune. <laughs> Voice wise, she's a beautiful woman. Very charming woman, but she with but an she incredible say. physique.
1: I tried to say that professionally.
0: Yes, <laughs> le- le- legs legs from here um, all the way down the Caribbean for sure. All right, uh, all right. Well, uh, Jennifer Lopez is it called J Lo? This is me now. Here now. When now? what's
1: No, it doesn't have her name in. It. This is me now. A love uh, story is the film. This is okay. me now. Is the album, uh, and so is that on Amazon Prime? It's on Amazon Prime, and then in two weeks we have a documentary of the making of the film, where she goes oh, yeah? oh. deeper into this. So there may be a follow-up piece. So uh, to all, the, to all the readers, <laughs> oh, out, I don't think so. <laughs> maybe I'll write it to myself.
0: Well, yeah, because you've learned to love yourself. I am watching this
1: myself and my love of JLo. Lo.
0: All right, thank you so much, Adam Hirschfelder
1: Thank you, Neil, as always. Let's talk about the swans. My swans are trying to kill me. Like soldiers in the winter in Russia during the war. Enough with the dramas. You need to finish the book. Make them love you again.
0: You're going to like this
1: next part, Mama. All will be revealed. You have to pull out of this kamikaze dive.
2: I feel like I'm going insane. It's shaping up to be the social disaster of the year. Life itself is a party.
1: You mean that European royals used to have before being guillotined?
0: (laughs) A much discussed show, at least uh, among Matthew Ehrlich, my guest and I, is Capote versus the Swans, the second edition of of Ryan Murphy's Feud series on FX, and it tells the story of uh, Truman Capote and the rich society women who he hung out with in New York in the 50s 60s and 70s and it it, uh it is extremely um salacious and juicy and uh, to my mind somewhat disappointing but there's a lot to talk about when it comes to feud hello matthew hello neil this show would um was uh it, it says capote versus the swans and the swans are played by a bevy of uh Fabulous ladies, uh, including yes, yes. Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Molly Ringwald, Demi Moore, Calista Flockhart, on and on. But I would, I would argue that this is really the Truman Capote show. You know, there's a lot. It's a lot more Truman than anything else, to my mind.
2: Yeah, and one, I mean, it's it's um, it's not very clear why he didn't just do a biopic of Capote, like the way he did with Halston, or the way he did that extensive documentary about Andy Warhol. Um, for some reason, he wanted it to be part of this feud series and he wanted it to be, um, you know, he wanted it to be Truman Capote versus the Swans. And in fact, Truman Capote was in several legitimate feuds with Gore with with Jackie Suzanne, you know, that could have been a great, you know, profile of a feud, but this isn't really a feud. This is just a, a mob hit basically.
0: Well, it's a it's a legendary story in the literary world how Truman Capote was the sort of court jester, the gay court jester of these of the richest of rich uh, New York society women, and um, he wrote a book or started writing a book and published an excerpt of uh, from the book, I believe, in Esquire called Answered Prayers. And I mean, the work itself is amazing, but it was all incomplete,
2: and it ended with his excommunication from society and this was, and it was good. Some people, I mean, we haven't seen the finished product and he was trying to get it as an excerpt, but some people have said it wasn't really very good. It was just kind of very gossipy and very witty, but it wasn't really about anything. So there's this idea that his, um, his social life uh, kind of eclipsed his literary life. Um, And, and, you know, he, he wasn't really much of a writer toward the end.
0: And this was kind of the end for him when they when they excommunicated him. I, mean, I know he lived another 10, 12 years or something like that, but it was kind of like his his uh his goodbye in, 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 in some in some ways. You know, and that and that his his relevance ended the day the Swans decided to end it. But, I, you know, as a show, though, it, you're right, though, it doesn't quite, there's not a lot of meat on the bone. So I, what I feel like you have with the show is just a lot of sort of circling around and doing the same thing over and over again. And there's this episode three, which you write about in your piece on Book and Film Globe extensively, is a an imagining of Truman Capote's famous black and white ball. And the episode takes place, but the show is in color, but this episode is pretty much all in black and white. And what I thought was weird about this episode is they imagine it as the subject of a documentary by the Maisels brothers, the, the famous uh, documentary filmmakers who made Salesman and among other great documentary movies. And they did make a short documentary
2: about Truman Capote, which I've watched but it wasn't about the black and white ball, right? And none of the Swans would have participated in a documentary like that. I mean, no. they saw Grey Gardens; they knew what could be done by the Malses brothers. So,
0: yeah, and um, yeah, that's the thing. Is like you know, you, as you point out uh, in your piece, Murphy's trying to sort of paint you know C.Z. Guest and Lee Radziwill and Babe Paley and, and and their ilk as the original real housewives. But they they didn't need. They had the money. They had the fame. They didn't need TV. They didn't want TV.
2: Right, right. And it portrays them as, as being very competitive about Truman's attention. They are all competing to be the guest of honor. And I don't really believe that any of them were all that, um, you know, Truman didn't have that much power in their lives. They loved having him around, um, but they weren't exactly like, oh, no, I'm, I'm his favorite. I'm his favorite. It, f- it felt very wrong, the whole thing.
0: Yeah, it was it was a little off. And also like like as you pointed in your piece, all this like get the camera out of here kind of stuff. You know, and you know, and then the camera would kind of peek through a door frame, and you were like, it was like an episode of The Office. So it was kind of cheap feeling. And you know, the black and white ball was such a um pivotal moment in American social history. It was sort of the, you know, the sort of this this peak moment of uh of the American royalty of that era. Um, and Capote did, was sort of um, democratizing it, right? He invited a former school teacher and a police officer from his hometown, you know, Frank Sinatra and Mia Farrow alongside all these so- society doyennes And the, the show doesn't really seem interested in that. It just kind of plays the same note over and over again.
2: Well, another thing that the show ignores is the fact that this is kind of the last gasp of, you know, Society of the Capital S. What's happening in the background is that Warhol's factory is happening. And the whole idea of what fame is, is being completely turned on its head. And the black and white ball and this idea of there being this one party that everyone needs to get invited to becomes complete. Like this is kind of the last hurrah of that sort of monoculture. And even though Warhol was actually at the black and white ball there's something else going on outside of this and that's really what reality TV is an extension of not this
0: right and then the show doesn't really hint at that and then you know most of it takes place in the 70s and it doesn't seem like anything is really that different than it was in the 60s or the 50s and there are some some anachronisms you know like they're they're at a, a dinner party and is it Jamaica where the Paleys have their house yeah right and um, they fly off there and and Bill Paley who was the fo- you know the founder of CBS basically, You know, Truman says something like, you know, I don't want any – he's talking about a famous murder. And he said, I don't want any of your reporters from 60 Minutes, which wasn't going to appear for another 15 years. I I mean, I'm not the only one who caught that. I saw other people kind of complaining about it online as well. So it's that kind of thing. I was excited to see Feud because I I love – a, I love Truman Capote's writing and I just also love the story of answered prayers and it's it was just something that like in my sort of journalism circles is just a famous uh, anecdote and you know and it is sort of a classic moment of um I don't know uh, how to put it like um well you talk you talk about it I, people were talking about it on your Facebook feed like sort of a, of you know gay social life and gay social status about how you know the the exiling of Truman Capote was like a m- metaphorical but it wasn't as important as the show makes it seem.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's very, it's, it's a very interesting, um, he enters into their lives, but he's very much, you know, Liz Smith really, uh, astutely points this out. He's a writer and writers are really fun to have around because they're always telling stories and they're very amusing. But the problem is, is that while they're sitting at your dinner table and they're talking to you about what's going on at other people's homes, They're also gathering information about what's going on in your home. And it was only a matter of time before Truman Capote was, you know, was dropped from society where, you know, he was going to, you know, he only had a certain amount of time that he could do this before it caught up with him.
0: And I feel like this would have been a good topic for a movie um like or sure sh- 4 hours but this goes on and on and on and again it circles right. back around many times that, and it, there's all these ridiculous time jumps it's just not as good as i wanted it to be it's not horrible
2: Yeah, and i think that i think that it's interesting cuz tom hollander is actually straight and he's done he's turned in two excellent gay performances in the last right he was in years. he was he in was, the white lotus he was in the white lotus as the gay, he was trying to kill you know gage the gage
0: the they're the trying gauge. to kill me exactly.
2: yeah and he does that brilliantly and he he does this yeah. really well in, in in Truman and the Swans. But the problem is, is that for some, like, I don't really see, you know, if you look, if you watch this, there's this documentary called The Capote Tapes, which if you're at all interested in this subject matter, you should check out as well, where it really becomes very clear. You know, when you see footage of Truman on Dick Cavett, you see him on The Tonight Show, you see him talking to the camera and he's a really weird little gay guy but he is so charismatic and you can understand why everyone was kind of eating out of his hand. But in the movie, in this, in this series, you, you feel as though it's like, you're like, he's so creepy. Why is everyone around him? Why is everyone telling him their secrets? He's so creepy. You don't really see that. He does a pitch perfect imitation of Truman Capote, but he really doesn't get at the, the,
0: the intelligence.
2: Yeah. Yeah. The, and the charisma, the, the charisma, yeah. the and
0: mannerisms are right. The voice is right. The, he looks great. Yeah. The cost the clothing is fabulous. Well, also, so let's talk about the swans. Like I was in, in the first episode, I was like really drawn into Naomi Watts, but I felt I feel like the performances kind of go around in circles a little bit. Like you see the same shit out of her every episode. The Diane Lane is kind of one note in this. I do love Chloe Savigny, though. She's just, you know, she just she's she plays CZ Guest, and she is just so watchable. She, I think she's probably my favorite of them.
2: Yeah, and she's had a very interesting career and in that she keeps making these really excellent choices and yeah. uh, she was very much like an it girl in the 90s and then she sort of somehow survived that and managed to she, she's still around doing solid work so yeah
0: she looked re- she was she's really good um, I, I would say that they're the only three that I I haven't seen an episode where Callista flockhart's Lee Radziwell who um, for trivia bus was uh, you know Jack Jacqueline Bouvier uh, right, right. Kennedy I- Anaassas's sister <laughs>
2: Right, and I don't feel, like, I'm not exactly a fan. I like Calista Flockhart as an actress. I don't think she's doing a very good Lee Redd as well. And I think, Jamie Moore is doing a really good job with Anne Woodward, who is this woman. But there's not a lot of her in it. Right, but also Anne Woodward was this, you know, this socialite who may or may not have killed her husband, or, I mean, she killed her husband, but it may or may not have been a mistake. And this woman was dropped from society, and there's a lot of... um, You know, she was gossiped about by everyone, including Truman Capote. And this show kind of intimates that he and Anne Woodward had some sort of back and forth relationship, which they really didn't. She tries to – at some point she tries to crash the the black and white ball, which never happened. People like that did not crash each other's parties. They just pretended to be out of town and that's why they weren't, you know – that wouldn't have happened, and essentially, they try. I think because they got Demi Moore to play her, and because Demi Moore was such, doing such a good job, they make so much more out of this character than ever needs to be in Truman Capote's life. Apparently, she did commit suicide a couple of days after um, answered prayers was exerted in Esquire, and there is speculation that you know there's a cause and effect there, but it really is just blown out of proportion in the series.
0: Well, and that's the thing: is the series blows a lot of stuff out of proportion in order to make a series.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: That sort of sums it all up. You know, if you're a fan of literary history and gossip and um, fashion, I guess, or you know, and, excellent and, clothing, and if you if you like Ryan Murphy's work, then uh, the Feud: Capote versus the Swans is for you. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna finish it out. I, I don't feel, I, I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not offended by it. It's not horrible. I just, I just wish it were maybe a little more linear and, and a little more pointed in it. In I'm this.
2: like, what else does he need to say? And that's yeah. going to make me watch the next four There's episodes. There's going to be a lot of like,
0: babe, why don't you call me? <laughs> why don't you call me, babe? I need to speak with you.
2: All right. <laughs> well, actually, I want more Joanna Carson as Molly, Molly Ringwald as Joanna Carson, who's not quite a swan, but. Is pretty fabulous. Yeah, I I
0: enjoy watching her as well, and she 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 rescued us. She's in Los Angeles. All right, it's not it's not. You know what? My Truman Capote is not bad, Matthew. No, it's not bad at all. I'm gonna start doing when I play poker. I'm gonna start doing the Truman Capote voice at 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 the table. I, I don't know. Should I bet? Should I Should I fold?
2: You know, it is really funny how everyone who's played Truman Capote in the last several years has been straight. For some reason, they just can't seem to find a gay guy to do Truman Capote in a movie or a TV series. I don't even know what that's about. Philip Seymour Hoffman. And
0: Philip Seymour Hoffman, and then who played him in Capote? No, he was he was in, him in Capote, and then there was another one.
2: Right. There was, yeah. There I don't was remember a, what there was the was
0: other. Oh yes.
2: Yeah. The other
0: guy. Other the guy other was- guy. The other guy. Alright, we're all right now. Uh Tom Hollander and I guess me, our 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 Capote, Truman Capote, and uh, Capote <laughs> versus the Swans is on FX. And Matthew Ehrlich, thank you so much for taking some time from your uh, your vacation idol to talk to me about it. Thanks, Neil. Try it again.
2: Make it a little less psychedelic.
1: Give me a one-drop, man. All right.
2: we're I want to make music to change the world. I want it with you.
1: you wanna start from the
0: beginning. You dig a surprising hit at the box office this season early this year has been Bob Marley One Love, a biopic about Bob Marley, uh, starring Kingsley Ben Adir and Lashana Lynch and set in the 1970s, the golden age of Bob Marley set. I feel like more of this movie should have taken place in Jamaica, but a lot of it just kind of takes place in in London, uh, where Bob Marley uh, escaped after he uh, was nearly assassinated by uh, political opponents. Uh, Adam Hirschfelder, on assignment, I mean, I wrote about this movie for Book and Film Globe, but Adam Hirschfelder was one of the few people I knew who was even marginally interested in seeing Uh, Bob Marley, One Love, which is kind of surprising because um, this was this is a very, very successful and popular movie, not just in the United States, but worldwide. Adam is here again to talk to me about something else. He talked to me earlier about Jennifer Lopez. Hello, Adam. Hey, Neil, how are you? I am still fine. Yes. uh, For those of you wondering how the magic of podcasting occurs, this conversation is taking place nearly a week after our last conversation as as i say some at some point of the podcast i haven't spoken to you this much since the first bush administration
1: yeah seriously and uh it's we haven't spoken this much since college and uh that's actually you know somewhat connected to this and yeah uh obviously because you know the the visual of bob marley from the cover of his uh you know greatest his, hits album legend was probably on what would you say 30 40% of the um
0: of the walls in our dorm and 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 let's let's put it this way um not not many people in our dorm were black and 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 the two guys who were weren't listening to Bob Marley. I think our 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 best African American friend preferred the English beat
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh certainly and um you know and that, and I was interested in this because you know I think the the visual of Marley and I have to admit I didn't know a whole lot about Bob Marley before uh the energy around the film had certainly listened to his music over the years of course and uh Went into the film, you know, wanting to know more and left the film wondering more, asking more questions. I think that's how I left it.
0: Wanting to know. You left the film wanting to know more. Well, there's a few things that this film focuses on. The main um, focus of the film is on the recording of his album Exodus, uh, which he recorded while in Exile. Uh, from Jamaica, where uh, there were there was some political conflict going on in Jamaica. There were these two rival uh, political factions, and they they both had um, you know gangs that were were you know ma- making some mayhem on the streets of Kingston and were killing people mostly each other, but occasionally trying to take a shot at Bob Marley, who wanted to bring peace uh, to Jamaica. And um, so that that's one focus of, of the movie, and you know the other is is there's a lot of material in this film about Rastafarianism.
1: Yes, d- definitely. With a touch of explanation or a little where you get some sense of what Rasta is. I mean, you know, it's easy, you know, so many people, and again, going back to that college things who it was so kind of... uh Rasta and all the rest into this kind of like cartoonish type of... Um, it was a frat religion based around consumption of
0: marijuana, essentially. Right,
1: mar- you know, an excuse to marijuana and wear dreads and all the rest, totally, you know, separated and excavated from its
0: <laughs> its historical roots. But Bob Marley was, you know, essentially Rasta is a cult. Uh, it, it, it is a charismatic cult based around the idea that Haile Selassie the former emperor of Ethiopia was actually the Messiah returned to earth. And then, you know, the movie presents Rasta as this sort of peace and love religion um, that uses marijuana as a, as a sacrament quite heavily.
1: <laughs> uh, certainly. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it shows that, but kind of doesn't, like, you know, he touches upon why Marley wants to go play in Africa, but only lightly. But the pan-Africanism and where, you know, uh, you know, African culture and where Rastafarianism gets its, you know, its power and its ability to move people, you don't you don't necessarily get that totally. And I wish it had gotten a little more, although it, it certainly touches upon it. And if you want to learn more about it, uh, you can. But it just kind of touches upon it. And it, for me, the film is kind of like, and I've seen other reviews. You know, like the posters on the wall, you kind of get this surface Marley, this surface Rasta, surface pot smoking, and not really as much in depth. Though, the film seems to be doing a lot better than people had expected. People love it. People
0: love it. Well, you know, yeah. people love Bob Marley's music is what it comes down to, you know. Yes.
1: The, and, and the thing
0: is, you know, the music is, you listen to it, it's still quite good, you know. if It's, it, fan- it, I mean, it's, it's fantastic. Gorgeous. It's some of the greatest music ever recorded. So it's ever. like even given it's just absolutely um, dominant cultural position, um, you know, and the cliches it spawns, you can still listen to it and enjoy it. And I, I certainly found myself enjoy. I wanted more concert scenes in the movie, honestly. And I thought like the, the concert scenes, the recording sessions that they did give us were pretty good. there even was a peak at a like, a, like a London punk rock club. Wasn't it supposed to be the so clash? They, it, it was a clash. Yeah. It was the yeah, clash. Was... You supposed to see the clash play. So that was that was kind of fun, you know. And uh, the movie's not a disaster, you know. Kingsley Benadir, who last we last saw in uh, Marvel's Secret Invasion, who who he was absolutely <laughs> dreadful in that as as the villain. He's not a particularly great actor, you know, and he's a lot handsomer than the real Bob Marley ever was.
1: Yes, yes definitely.
0: But he he does his best to embody Bob Marley. There's a lot of scenes of him just strumming his guitar, you know. And then Lashana Lynch plays his wife Rita. Uh, and she she gives it look. The movie gives is very earnest, right? It's a very earnest attempt with a heavy influence from the Bob Marley estate, right? So you know, it's a sanctioned biopic. I mean, there is a scene where he beats the shit out of his his shady business manager. He, they imply that he cheated on more than imply that he cheated on his wife,
1: which has become you know more, a little more of the Marley story over the last few decades. His womanizing yeah. and so forth.
0: It's not surprising. He was a rock star after yeah. all, and a man in the 70s. Um, So standard issue stuff. You know, I feel like Adam, like, but you know, the movie itself, like, did, did they not see Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story? <laughs> <laughs> Bob Marley has to think about his whole entire life before he gives his peace concert.
1: Yeah, I mean, the the, 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 the cliche kind of elements that they did and said, hey, let's do the biopic. I mean, that's what this was. Certainly watchable. The music is good. But I left, uh, you know, wanting more. Now, it could be, you know, my responsibility to go learn more about Marley, and they served their role in, in inspiring me to do so. But there was, there was, at times, a flatness to it. Oh, no, it's not a great movie.
0: You know, and the thing is, like, you just, there's been so many music. You know, you, despite Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story, there, there, we had the Elton John movie. We had Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, we had Elvis, Baz Luhrmann's Elvis, another Elvis movie for God's sake, and you know there's an Amy Winehouse biopic coming out this year, and they all, I mean, yes, the stories are all a little different, and you know the music is always a little different, but I just feel like I don't know, there's something about the music biopic that just doesn't ever seem to die. I think maybe it's that these, you know, these are more than just musicians. They're not making biopics out of unknown musicians. Like these are like corporations. And this is all part of the legacy building, right?
1: Certainly legacy building to try to sell some more albums. And I know uh, Marley's music is now doing (laughs) even better, even though legacy has always been on the top 100 for like the last 30 years or something.
0: Right. And we have a a substantial international audience for this great podcast.
1: Huge, right? Mm -hmm.
0: Well, we do. It's big in Central Europe, you know, and and, and we have an international audience and you can go to, any coffeehouse district of any European city and in Australia for that matter as well. And like, you hear Bob Marley music coming, coming out on, pouring onto the street. Any place there's a head shop.
1: <laughs> yeah. There's a, there's a head shop.
0: Any place there's a head shop. They're, they're, they're playing legacy. You know, they're playing the, they're, they're playing these songs
1: and the music in the movie. You get the sense that there's some serious stuff that the music is about. I mean, anything about Exodus. You see him reading the Bible when he's not reading about Marcus Garvey, you know, going through, <laughs> get, get, going looking for biblical verses and so forth. So you get the sense. But what the music meant, the times, you know, using the, you know, a term that's popular now settler colonialism and, and, and the British role in Jamaica. I mean, you get the sense that some of that stuff is there and that the music may have something to do, you know, with some of this stuff, but you don't get it there could be more in depth and I don't know whether that's the contours of a biopic that can't really go too in depth, but I felt you could have gone more in depth with some of this stuff and where the music fit into this outside of just peace and love. I mean, you know. Yeah.
0: And, and then to me, like one of the best musical scenes in the movie is too truncated it shows a young Bob Marley, like a, like almost like little Michael Jackson with his band, the whalers in his recording studio, doing the kind of their old um their old fashioned record. Right. That was the I mean, old the fashioned old before reggae.
1: it got kind of that was the early that was out of, I think it was his first their first release, right? With the Whalers? Before he turned into a hippie. right. You know, right. he
0: hooked up he hooked up with Rita.
1: She introduced him to
0: Rasta. And then he smoked weed and turned into a hippie. <laughs> the Bob Marley. He turns into the Bob Marley that that we know and that the, the movie uh presents to us. And there's some flashbacks to sort of that pre bob marley and the, also i didn't realize he had a white father
1: yeah I, I that's something like again when i said i didn't know i didn't know that piece of it and that you know the biracial piece of him and how he, you know struggled against that how that inspired some of his stuff and then okay, you know selassie becomes you know the guy on the horse at the end kind of thing i mean there's some really big heavy <laughs> global political stuff <laughs> heavy thematic hev- heavy thematic material and
0: then you know, and then there are are uh, you know moments where he just kind of strums this guitar and and just come comes up with you know our, these legendary songs just out of thin air. Of, just just be, of,
1: but that lends itself more to again to the you know that's the guy on my um, you know dorm room, and you know that's a guy who I can yeah. look at when I smoke pot. And I, I think you know I think Marley and you know even, even other musicians. They, there's there's more to it, particularly in this case, given the times um, that this movie you know focuses on it touches upon them. it's solid but it needed more given the times that they were talking about and even now wh- where we are in the world it needed so- a little more
0: yeah i would agree although it, we're we're not going to get more that's 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 <laughs> the bob marley we get and the movie is in- incredibly popular maybe people just kind of want a little uh a little anodyne visit uh a, a, slightly sanitized version of, of, of their dorm room hero.
1: Yeah. And, and, and they certainly get it. And you look, you know, this is one of those classic cases, though certainly not the only one on Rotten Tomatoes where, you know, the critics mostly, you know, white and all the rest. Give it 45%. You give it and the, fa- and, and the fans are like 92. We loved it. <laughs> yeah. 95%. I I've been amused by that. And that's the kind of good, you know, I, I always like seeing that sign and I don't want to fall into that trap, but, you could have done – there could have been a little more, right? But then, you, you know you – I'm were- going
0: to come – I'm, I'm, I'm going to land somewhere in the middle, in the mid-60s. It was watchable. Definitely. Uh, I'm, I'm glad I saw it, uh, you know, all, mostly because it's so popular, you know? And if something is touching a nerve, then perhaps people are starved for um, – you know, a nice message of, of peace and love and, and, and Rasta, man.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, certainly, yeah. Maybe people just want, you know, peace and love and all that. Or maybe they just want, or maybe they just want to, you know, you know, smoke a blunt and, and listen to some music at home. Which, you know, Hey, God bless. And people, people should, it's just sometimes the peace <laughs> and love messages it gets, yeah, it gets it's very simplistic and there's reasons for the peace and love messages. And, um, hopefully this will inspire people to learn a little more about the times. Adam Hirschfelder, um, peace to you, my friend. Peace, to, peace be to you
0: too. Ja, Rastafari. All right. Thanks, Adam Hirschfelder. Bob Marley, one love is still making lots of money at the box office as we speak. And it will be on streaming now and forevermore. So check it out if you like Bob Marley. Also thanks to Adam for talking to me about the new Jennifer Lopez phenomenon, music video, movie, singing in the rain rip off, whatever she's doing right now. And thanks to Matthew Ehrlich for coming on to talk to me about Feud, Capote versus The Swan, which is now on FX and Hulu. I am Neil Pollack. I am the editor-in-chief of Book and Film Globe, www.bookandfilmglobe.com. We cover the world of books and film and streaming TV and much more. This is us now. Check us out and thanks for listening.
1: Original production.